Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, welcome to Pleasant City Church this morning. I wanted to start this morning with asking kind of a serious and thought-provoking question. And here's the question I want to ask, and you can think about the answer in your own mind, all right? What is the current evil in the world right now that bothers you the most, all right? I want you to think about that question for just a minute. This is not the time to think about a politician. And if you're looking at your spouse right now, that's really going to be a bad afternoon for you. Uh, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about actual sin. What is the current evil that bothers you the most? The thing that when you think about, it literally just makes you sick to think about. I'll share mine real quick. For me, it's any kind of crime against children. I, I, I really just struggle with that, whether it's exploitation or abuse. That is just something that crawls all over me. And so for some of you in here, maybe you identify with that particular thing, that that's the thing for you that really you just detest. Maybe it's something else. I don't know what it is. But I want to ask another question or a follow-up question. What do you think is the thing that God detests the most? I know that sin is sin, and if you're a good biblical scholar, we know that all sin separates us from a holy God. I totally agree with that. But if there was one thing that God really seemed in the Bible to really detest, to really hate, to really have very little sympathy for, what would be that evil? What would be that sin. We're in the middle of a series called Emoji Masquerade, and it's kind of an odd name for a series, and it's actually a very transparent series because the series is really about this idea of taking off the mask that we wear and really looking at what's behind the mask. What is the thing that's really behind the mask? And I honestly can't think of a bigger mask than the mask of pride. The mask of pride, it is a big mask that a lot of people wear. wear. And in my opinion, it's, it's probably the thing that if you look through all of Scripture, I think it's the thing that probably God detests the most. And, and you see that there, that pride is, is that kind of thing. It's, it's this big problem, and it's such a big problem, it's such a big mask in many people's lives that the people that struggle with pride, a lot of them don't even know that they struggle with it. It's one of those kind of things, that the struggle is so real, but they don't even realize a lot of times that it's there. Your introduction says this, pride is one of the most elusive sins that we struggle with. It's one of those ones that's hard for us to see in ourselves. It's hard for us to check it out ourselves. It's kind of like, this is a weird example, but it's kind of like head lice. Any families ever had head lice in your family? That is not something you want to bring in the house. But I remember uh, we've had it before. And what happens when a kid gets lice in your house? You all, all of a sudden, become like little monkeys, right? You're checking the other person's head. Hopefully, you're not eating anything out of their head. But you're checking the other person's head. It's very seldom that you're checking your own head. Usually, Crystal's checking mine, and I'm checking hers, and we're checking the kids, and all that to make sure no one has lice. Pride works the same way. Pride is something that's very hard for us to see in ourselves. It's easier for other people to see it than it is for us to see it. It was also the first sin ever committed and has roots in every other sin that has ever been committed. 
Talk about a resume for a sin. Pride would win the resume contest because it is the first sin. I'm not talking about Adam and Eve. I'm talking about Satan in heaven. His first sin was pride. Adam and Eve's sin was pride. Cain murdering Abel, pride. You have an entire book filled with sins of pride. That Every sin since the first Occurrence of pride, every single sin has its roots in pride. And just a casual reading of God's word, and we would see that. And what we've learned about pride in this book is that God hates pride and loves humility. God hates pride and loves humility. So I have a a question that I want us to ask today as we think about this morning. If it's hard for us to see if we're prideful or not, ask the question this way. Would the people around you say you're humble or would they say you're prideful? Which path do you find yourself on this morning? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 3 John, okay? This is not John chapter 3. This is 3 John. So it's like the third book at the very, very end, you got Jude, Revelation, and right before that is 3 John. 3 John is like this really, really small letter. It's only 15 verses long, and it's one of those letters that's addressed to a very specific person. It's addressed to a guy named Gaius. That's funny, guy named Gaius. Um, it's addressed to this person named Gaius, and John is writing this letter to Gaius, and it's kind of interesting. It actually sounds like a letter. You know how some of the letters in Scripture that Paul writes are like, you know, nine chapters long, and you're like, man, this is the longest letter I've ever read. This is not one of those letters. This is a really short letter, and I want us to read it here. So John, uh, excuse me, Third John, right there, starting with verse 1, says, The elder, now the elder is John. So John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came, we're going to talk about who the brothers are in a minute, and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy <clears throat> than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that, that, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace 
be to you. The friends greet you, greet the friends, each by name. Now, congratulations, you have literally just read an entire book of the Bible in the gathering here this morning. So when you get out with your friends today that don't go to this church and y'all talk about church stuff and you say, well, what did you learn? You can say to them, I read a whole book of the Bible this morning at our church. No, don't do that. We're talking about pride. It's not a, it's counterproductive. But anyway, this passage that we just read, okay, we're going to kind of look at this. This passage talks about two different paths, okay? It talks about the path of the humble, and it talks about the path of the prideful. And it talks about this with two different characters in the story. You have the guy, Gaius. I don't know why I keep saying guy, Gaius. You've got Gaius who represents the humble, and you've got Diotrephes, who represents the prideful. And in this story, we see this path laid out, this progression, and you see it there in your outline. So I want to encourage you this morning, uh, if you have an outline, uh, you're more than welcome to look there on your handout. It's also on our app. I want to encourage you, follow along, because it'll make better sense seeing it there uh, on your outline than it will just on the screen, because we can't fit everything on the screen. Um, But look at these paths here. Every path, every path starts in the mind. Think about that for just a second. Every journey you take, every path you take, not just spiritual, but physical, all of it, it always starts in the mind. It starts with a thought, an original thought. And if I had an opportunity to go back and rewrite the outline, I would add this word to it, the idea of thought. What is the thought of the path of the humble. The original thought is this, that the humble are devoted to truth. They're devoted to truth. Gaius, in this story, is devoted to truth. First, uh, the, the verse 3 says this again, For I, John, rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to you, Gaius, your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, John is not Gaius's father. He's talking about this idea of discipleship, that Gaius has been a disciple of John, and John has had a front row seat in watching how Gaius has grown in his faith. And so he's saying here, he's, he's praising Gaius for, for walking in truth. Just like Gaius, when you are devoted to the truth of God, it is very hard to be prideful. That when we not just know truth, when we're devoted to truth, it is super hard to be a prideful person when we're devoted to the truth of God's word. Why? Because when we read this truth, when we read God's word, it tells us two primary things. It tells us a lot, but it tells us two really ultra primary things. It tells us, one, who God is. It tells us about his character. It tells us about the kind of God that we serve. And secondly, it tells us who God says we are. That from the very first book and chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, you have God that comes onto the scene. He's already there. But then he has us. He creates us into that as well. And so this whole Bible, when we read this cover to cover, it's telling us who God is and it's telling us who we are or who God says we are in the story. And I love this because the entire book, the entire words of scripture all point to this one moment in scripture that we were just singing about. This one moment in history, the cross of Christ, where we see Jesus for who he is on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth, and he is paying our sin debt. 
And not only does he pay our sin debt, he releases, releases us from the bondage of our sin, right? He's resurrected. Resurrection power now lives in us. And so when we look at that and we see what our truth is, we see that the devoted, the people that are devoted to truth, they find their identity in Christ. They find their identity in what he has done for us. That's why we're humble. Because we can't stand in front of the cross with our ego. When we stand at the cross and we see God for who he is, when we sing that song that we just sang, this living hope that lives within us, we can't sit there and sing that with an ego. Because we've done nothing in the equation of his redeeming grace. And so this is what it means to be humble. It's this idea that our thought process is devoted to the truth of God's word and that our identity is in Christ. But the prideful are not like that. The prideful, and you see this with Diotrephes on the other hand, in his mind, he is now deviated from the truth. He's deviated from the truth. And it's obvious based on what we just read about him that he likes to put himself first that he's not very welcoming to people in his church. And the difference between these two men, the difference between Gaius and the difference between Diotrephes is not doctrine, okay? It's not that they believe two different teachings. No, they believe the exact same teaching. In fact, the story gets really weird when you read it and you realize Gaius is a member in the church, right? He's sitting in one of the seats like right now that you're sitting in. Diotrephes is not a member. He's the overseer of the church. Diotrephes would be the guy on the stage right now. Now think about that for just a minute. This is one of the most interesting stories in scripture because the villain of the story is the pastor. And that's, that's pretty interesting. Hopefully you perked up when you heard that because I think that's pretty interesting. But here's the thing. The difference was not their doctrine or their knowledge of the truth. Diotrephes knew the truth. Gaius knew the truth. It was how they applied the truth that they knew. You see, pride always starts with a deviation from truth, a deviation from the truth of who God is and who he says we are. Think back into the garden. This was ultimately what brought down Adam and Eve. That, that the enemy comes and he starts tempting them and he says, hey, did God really say this? He's getting them to doubt truth, right? And then he says, hey, if you eat this, you're gonna be like God. He's appealing to their pride. And the irony of that story, the saddest part of the story is they were already like God. Genesis 127, they were created in the image of God and yet they, they bought into this lie. They begin to build their life not on their identity in Christ and their, their identity in the character of God. No, they begin to say, hey, I'm gonna build my life on my identity or my identity in my credentials, in the things that I can do for myself, in my performance, in my, the way I'm perceived, in the way I look, and all of those things, I'm going to forsake this identity in Christ, and I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to identify in my credentials, in the things that I can accomplish, the potential that I have in and of myself. And this kind of behavior spreads from that kind of path. Are you devoted to truth or are you deviated from truth? Are you, is your identity in Christ or is your identity in credentials? Because it starts in one of those two places. 
And it moves from there. It goes from a heart thought, or a, excuse me, a head thought to a heart thought. Look at the next part here of, about the humble. The humble's progression is they go from devoted truth in the mind to in the heart. Their heart is that they, the humble love others. They love other people. In the hearts of the humble grows a genuine love for other people. Now, think about this. What is John praising Gaius for in this verse, or in this passage? Verse 5 tells you, Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Now, we're reading this, and we're like, who are these brothers? They keep talking about these brothers. Are you talking about Gaius's brothers? Is this John's brothers? No, these are missionaries, okay? There are missionaries that are literally going from city to city, and they are preaching the gospel of Christ, which is pretty awesome. We've, we're actually sending out some missionaries today from our church. I'm very excited about that. And, um, and, and so this is what these people are. These, these are missionaries, and they've finally arrived at Gaius's church. And so what does Gaius do? He doesn't, he doesn't pat him on the back and say, hey, thanks for being here, appreciate your, your work. No, he like opens up everything for them. He drops his schedule, he drops his agenda, and he begins to serve these missionaries. And, and we can relate to that because when we, when we get around truly humble people, man, that's, that's just a good feeling. Have you guys ever been around someone who is truly humble? Humble people, man, they breed this idea of community with others. That's really what they're about. The humble people, they love people so well that when you get around those kind of people, you just enjoy being around them. There's this community that kind of is around the humble. And, and as I say this statement now, and literally as I wrote this statement last week, I, I thought of a person in my life that is literally the most humble person that I know personally in my life. And I know this sounds really cheesy, and honestly, she probably hates this because she is so humble, but my wife is the humblest person I've ever met, by far, okay? And, and the reason she's humble, it's not because she's quiet. It doesn't mean she's a pacifist or she's just, you know, just hands off. No, the reason she's humble is because I watch her with the relationship with our children. I watch her with mine, her relationship. I watch her with the relationship with her friends and the people she does life with at church and at work and all of this stuff. And what I've noticed about her and what is true about all humble people is they tend to stay above the fray. Have you ever noticed that? They don't get down there in the muck and the mire of drama. They stay above it, man. They live up here at this, at this point. And here's what I know to be true about how to stay above the fray. I used to think that staying above the fray meant that I stay up here and I look down on these people and I think to myself, I'm not getting involved in their mess. That's, I'm too good for that. That's what I actually thought above the fray meant. But here's what my wife is teaching me about what above the fray means. Above the fray, to be above the fray means to posture low. It's actually counteractive because being above the fray doesn't say, hey, I'm too good to get involved in that. What it really means is I'm too forgiven to pick sides. That I'm going to live my life in such a way, in humility, where I'm going to not sit up here and judge everyone else for their drama and their craziness, but I'm going to posture low knowing that I've been forgiven by God and that I could just as easily fall into that, and it's by God's grace that I'm not in that. 
This is what humility looks like. It's a person that breeds community with others. They're not just peace keepers, they're peacemakers. Look at the heart of the prideful, though. The prideful love themselves. They might love others, but they also love themselves. In fact, they love themselves the most. Look at Diotrephes in verse 10. It says, he refuses to welcome the brothers, these missionaries, and also stops those who want to welcome them and puts them out of the church. Now, here's what's interesting. This guy's not just not welcoming these people. He's also saying to his congregants, hey, if you do anything with them, if you welcome them into your home, you're out of the church. Now, think of how crazy that story is. Like, we, we sometimes read the Bible, and we, we're like, oh, yeah, that's good. Like, imagine if that was happening right there. Like, I have a problem with someone in our church. I don't really. I'm just saying, I have a problem with someone in our church. I'm not giving you the reason why I don't like them. But if you like them, you're out of the church. That's what this guy's doing here. And here's the thing. It doesn't tell us why he doesn't like the missionaries. It doesn't tell us why, but I really believe this. As a pastor, as I'm reading this story, I can see and relate a little to Diotrephes, and you can too. It's the same reason that you probably, some of you, the same reason you might avoid certain people at work, that you might avoid certain people at school, because, or that you try to keep certain people out of your friend groups. Why? Because there's this little thing in your heart that says to you, what if they're better than me? What if these missionaries, I, I really feel like this is where Diotrephes is. I think he's sitting there thinking to himself, what if these missionaries are better communicators than I am? What if they have more charisma? I don't want to share the teaching with these guys. I mean, what if, what if they show me up? I feel like this is what Diotrephes is going through. And for some of us, this is what we go through. Because of this insecurity that prideful people have, this insecurity and this identity in their credentials, because of that, they see other people as threats. That pride breeds competition with others. It breeds this unhealthy competition of, uh, if I focus on me, I'm going to see them as a threat. And we might not say that. We might not say that that person is a threat. But here's some good indicators, some good questions to make you think about this issue and see if, if people are threats in your life. Are you ever a little joyful or satisfied when someone in your life fails at something? I know that sounds really sick. But is there ever a point in your life where the guy at work that's your rival, the guy at work that you don't really get along with, let's say he's up for a big promotion and he doesn't get it. Is there anything in your heart that feels satisfied that he didn't get that? Or maybe another way to look at it is this. Do you feel you deserve what others receive? Here's how this conversation can go at home. Talking to your wife, did you see that new house that Wes and Haley got? Must be nice. What is that? It's this idea of unhappiness in my life because I don't, because happiness and something good is happening in someone else's life. A prideful person cannot handle that. They can't in their heart deal with good things happening to other people. That's the heart of a prideful person. It breeds this competition with others. 
And so you have this, this progression that keeps going. You have it from the thought, from the heart, and then you have it acting out. For the humble, it, it, it's just natural, right? They're devoted to Christ. They're devoted to truth. Their identities in Christ. Their, their heart is they love others. So what's going to flow from that? What's the action? Look, the humble submit to words of authority. John says to Gaius in verse 6, the middle part of that, he says to, to Gaius, you will do well to send them, the missionaries, on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And so what you have here is you have this idea of, they've already praised, he's already praised Gaius for doing the right thing by being hospitable. Now he's, he's encouraging him and he's saying, hey, continue doing these awesome things. And we read this and we think, yeah, he's gonna do that because Gaius is that kind of guy. He's the guy that's going to be hospitable. He's going to be the guy that loves others. And what Gaius is doing in this passage is he is submitting to authority. Now, when we hear that, it, it puts this weird feeling in most of us. Because we can say submit to authority and students are like, okay, yeah, I know what that means. It means my parents, right? And all the parents are like literally like looking over here and being like, Submit to authority, right? But do you realize every person in this room, from the youngest child to the oldest adult, we have authorities that have been placed in our lives. Every single one of us in here. There's church authority, there's employer authority, there's, there's all kinds of authority that's been placed in our life. And here's the thing about authorities. The humble don't war against proper authority. They don't do it. It's not to say that they can't question or even hold someone accountable, but they don't war with people. You know, over the years, I've been a pastor here for 10 years now, and we've, over the years, it just happens with a group of 700 people coming to our church every Sunday, there's bound to be people that don't agree with certain things that we do. And, and over the years, we've had calls and emails and sometimes occasional visits, and some of those, it's like when it's over, it's like, whew, glad that's over, Right? But then there's others that come in the door and literally as they're critiquing what you're doing and as they're questioning and even maybe in a loving way challenging what you're doing, they leave and you feel more encouraged. It's like, man, that was such a good talk. I feel so much better about where we're at, even if we didn't agree. This is what the humble are. These are people that in confrontation, they strive for unity. They're not looking for division. They're looking for unity. The humble's encouragement and accountability produces unity. That these are, these are what these people are all about. They are about encouragement. They're not about just being pacifists and just letting everything happen that happens. No, they're about encouragement and they're about accountability in a way that strives people to unity. But the prideful are nothing like that. The prideful don't submit to words of authority. The prideful spew out words of contempt. Look at what Diotrephes is doing in verse 10. It says, so if I come, I will bring up what Diotrephes is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. You see, pride always moves from private to public, from thought and heart to action and words. And it's kind of interesting. I actually chose this word spew for a very specific reason. Because pride, when it starts coming out, is very similar to vomit. 
I want you to think about that for just a second. In vomit, there's this, this sour thing in us that needs to come out, that is going to come out. This is what pride is. This is how it works. Instead of, instead of vomit coming out, contempt begins to come out of our mouths. That the prideful person in their heart can't keep it here. Eventually, it starts coming out. And it comes out in obvious ways, like getting around people who just always talk about themselves. But it also comes out in overt ways, ways that are under the radar. And here's an example. Here's, here's a question for you. Do you complain a lot? Oh, man, that hurts. That's probably the most convicting thing for me personally out of the whole morning. Do I complain a lot? When I complain, I am saying that I know better. That's really what you're saying when you complain. I, I, I like, this is kind of random, but I, I like Little Caesar's pizza. And um, for a year, I didn't eat Little Caesar's pizza and I'll tell you why, and it's not a complaint. I'm just, I'm just stating something. Me and Little Caesars have fundamental differences on what hot and ready pizza means, okay? <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I was in there one time, and I lost it. I mean, I didn't cuss or anything crazy like that, but I mean, I lost it on this poor person that's probably making minimum wage. And here's the thing. All that was was pride. It was this, I can do this better than you. So do you complain? It's a mark of pride. Do you gossip? That's a mark of pride as well. Because if you never notice when you gossip, you're controlling the conversation. Because everyone's listening. Because everyone likes to hear gossip. And you're, it's a way, it's a method in which you can control the conversation. And by the way, when you're gossiping, you never make yourself look bad. Have you ever noticed that? You always put yourself in a great light. These are small things. These are words of contempt that most time we don't even catch. But it's detrimental to us. Complaining and gossip produces division. Division of relationships, but also division of the soul. Because you become this two-faced person, right? You've got Pastor Jonathan up here preaching, and you've got little Caesar's Jonathan fussing at someone on Tuesday, Right? It's this two-facedness that many people deal with when they walk around with pride. And so you have these two patterns. You have this pattern of the humble, and you have this pattern of the prideful. The pattern of the humble, their thought is identity in Christ. Their, their uh, heart is I love others, and their action is I'm submitting to authority. I'm submitting to others. Over here, you've got the prideful. Their heart is I'm deviated from truth. It's all about me. I love myself and I'm spewing out contempt. And when this pattern continues, it becomes a person that is marked by that. You no longer go from a person that struggles with pride. You go to a person that is prideful, a life marked by that. And here's what's true about the humble. Their life is marked with this statement. They are content with being last. They are content with being last. For some of us, this is so unsettling, and this is the reason why we struggle with humility and struggle with wanting humility, because nobody wants to be last. It's a weird feeling being back here in the back, right? It sometimes can feel lonely. In fact, I think Gaius is lonely. I mean, think about it. His own pastor is against him in this story. 
But John says to him in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. I love this verse because it's, so, it's kind of random, right? Like he's telling him, hey, be, be an imitator of good, not of evil. Oh, and by the, by the way, Demetrius, he's a pretty cool guy. Like, like, who's this Demetrius guy? All of a sudden, he's coming into the story. I think Demetrius is here for one reason and one reason alone. I think John is trying to tell Gaius here, hey, you're not alone in the back. There's a bunch of really awesome people that are content with being last as well, including a servant king named Jesus. That that's where Jesus is as well. You know, there was a concert several years ago um, with one of my favorite bands, and we didn't go to the concert. I just heard about this through social media. And at the concert was general admission, which means everyone fights for the front. Some of you have experienced that. That's a lot of fun. Everyone fights for the front, so you get there two hours early, and you stand in line forever. Well, this band decides at the very back of the line, they decide to come out of the stadium and they play a little set with the people at the very back of the line. Now think of how cool that is. The people that are going to be on stage, the people in the back of the line, they're going to be up in the nosebleeds. The furthest away from the people on stage as you can possibly get. And yet the people on stage come to them. And those people in the nosebleeds that night, I know what they were thinking. They were thinking, I got to jam with the people that's way down there on the stage. I really believe this, guys. I believe sometimes the Christian life is just like that. That sometimes we are so busy fighting for the front that we forget that the star of the show is in the back. He's up in the nosebleeds with us, the humble. That's where we find Jesus. We don't find him center stage. We find him up in the nosebleeds with the humble. And that that's the, the reward is that we get respect and Reward. That's, that's the result of the humble life, that we get respect and reward. That Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, be brought low, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That that's the end goal for people that are humble. But what about the life of the prideful? The prideful life is marked by this obsession with being first. This obsession with being first. And I tried to figure out how am I going to illustrate this. And this, this example kind of came into my, into my thought process. I sometimes feel like when we're trying to go for first, I feel like a lot of times we look like this to God. It's this idea of how ridiculous is this, right? That we are pushing so hard to be number one, to be first, that we get this giant head of arrogance and pride. And we go to church like this, we go to work like this, we go to school like this, and it's all about us, right? I mean, we have no problem gossiping, we have no problem complaining, we have no problem giving our monumental opinion in everything, even when it's not asked. And we don't give people the real us, no, we give them the profile pic us, right? The one where our hair's in perfect place. I'm missing an ear over here, I don't know why that is, but other than that, we give them the best, right? We don't want to let them see what's real. We want them to see what we want them to see. 
And we interject our greatness into every conversation we find ourselves in. We tell them how great we are by topping their stories and living out a life like that. And our private life is no better because we pull out our social media account and we start scrolling through that. 10-year challenge, woohoo! Let's see how many likes I got. And we put our phone up and an hour later, I wonder how many likes I have now. And the problem is we are sitting here and our deepest desire at this place in our life is that we really just want people to be jealous of us. We want them to be jealous of this. And to God, we're looking ridiculous. And we never really want people to see what's behind the mask, our brokenness. Because we built a pyramid of all of our accomplishments and we know that this pyramid is shaky. So we got to put the mask on and we are the whole time we're fighting for the front with the rest of the culture. We are seeking fame the way everyone else in the world is. And the reason we're doing this, this pride, the reason there's this dash and fight with our culture for the front is we think that it will fix our brokenness, the things we don't like about ourselves, we cover up with this mask. And this is how we live, and this is how Diotrephes lived. How was Diotrephes named? It tells you, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. How's that for a subtitle for the rest of history? Every person that reads this, that's what they know about Diotrephes. You see, the thing about pride is that when you're in it, you don't see it. You don't notice what's around you. But here's the thing about pride. People start to see the ridiculousness. You don't realize it, but they start to see right through you. Pride is like bad breath. You don't know you have it, but everyone else does. That your life becomes marked as the guy who wants to be first. There's the guy, like diatrophies, there's the guy that wants to be first in everything. There's the girl that wants to be first in everything. And in the end, the result, the path of pride leads to being rebuked and being ruined. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Rebuke and ruin. But here's the beauty about this. It doesn't have to be that way. That maybe you're on this path of pride, but it doesn't have to end in ruin. It's going to have a rebuke, but it doesn't have to end in ruin. You can actually be restored. See, that's the caveat to this end game of pride. It doesn't have to be ruined. It can be restored. You know, we know that Diotrephes goes and, or that John eventually gets back to Diotrephes and rebukes him, but we don't know what, what came of that. We don't know the final story for this prideful person in Scripture. We don't know how it ultimately ended for him. There will always be a rebuke, but it doesn't have to end in ruin. You decide whether it's going to end in ruin or whether it's going to end in restoration and getting put on the right, right path. God loves us too much for us to look ridiculous. He loves us too much for us to walk around in ridiculous living, this mask. 
So James 4, James 4, uh, the verses are going to be on the screen. I know we don't have time to turn there, but I want to just go through what James 4 tells us. James 4, 6, right in the middle there, it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's basically saying, hey, left unchecked, our pride will ruin us. Because here's the thing, who's going to go up against God? Like, you're opposing God when you're prideful. Prideful. Man, that's, a, that's like a bad thing, right? I mean, we're against God when we're prideful. And that's, that statement should scare us. But the next statement is where the beauty is. But he gives grace to the humble. And I want to close with this idea. The, the star of the story and the best part of the whole story is this. It's not Gaius, although that's pretty cool to watch his story play out. It's not even Diotrephes. It's not Demetrius. It's not the missionary brothers, whatever. You know who the, the, the lead in the story is? The best part of this story? It's the writer of the letter. Remember who's writing this letter? John. You want to know something about John that's pretty interesting? John in Mark chapter 10, this is, you can go read this. It's kind of a funny story. I mean, it really is if you read, if you like humorous things. John is there with all the disciples and Jesus is sitting there and he is giving them in detail how he's going to die. That's pretty heavy, right? I mean, that's pretty heavy stuff. And in the middle of all this heaviness, John pulls over to Jesus, tugs on his shirt, and says, hey, Jesus, I need you to do me a favor. And Jesus, knowing his heart, says, what do you want? And basically, John says, I want to be first in your kingdom. The same guy that wrote this letter and the same guy that's calling out diatrophies and, 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 and talking about how great guys is, this same guy just a couple years before is tugging on Jesus saying, I want to be first. Let me be first. I want to be first. In fact, he also, in another place in Scripture, he actually gets in a fight with the other disciples, and they fight about who's the best. Who's, they, literally, who's the greatest disciple? Who does the best discipling? This is an argument that John had. This is a man that at one time was slam full of pride. And as he's writing this letter, he probably identifies more with the villain of the story than he does with the hero of the story. And here's what all that means. If John can be restored from his arrogance, then so can we. Then so can I. That I, my life doesn't have to end in ruin. My life can end. I can be set on a new path, a path of restoration and a path of being content with being in the back. So how does it happen? In James chapter 4, it tells us in, in, in verse 7, and it, it, but before then it says, it's this idea of retreating from the front line of our pride. We've got to retreat from that line. That fight that the world's in that, uh, with the culture and all of that, that fight for the front, that fight for fame, we've got to say, hey, I don't want that anymore. That's not really that important in life. I'm going to come back here and I'm going to draw near to God who's in the back, who's in the back of the line. Verse 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So you retreat from the front line of your pride. Next, you repair the destructive aftermath of your ego. The middle part of verse 8 says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter, this is interesting, let your laughter be turned to mourning 
and joy to gloom. This is such a weird verse. He's he's like, he's telling us to be sad. And he kind of is. And here's the reason why. Because our hands are filthy. Remember it said at the beginning, hey, cleanse your head. And what are they filthy of? They're filthy of all this mess of pride that we've been wallowing around in. It's not just filthy. They might have blood on their hands. The blood of bad relationships, relationships gone bad because of our pride in our lives. And what God is telling us here is, hey, cleanse those hands. Like these things that you did, don't take that lightly. Go back and repair it. That there may be someone in your life right now that because of your pride, you haven't spoken to in years. It might be your wife or your husband that you haven't had a meaningful conversation in years. It might be a parent You haven't had a meaningful conversation in years. Why? Because the pride of your life has wrecked that. And what God is saying here is, hey, repair that destructive aftermath of your ego. Just let it go and restore that. Lastly, verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's basically this, remember that you were made not to be somebody, you were made to know somebody. That this life is not about being somebody, this life is about knowing somebody. And that when we know somebody, man, it changes us from the inside out. We no longer walk around looking ridiculous in pride. Instead, we are real, we are true to who we are and to who God has called us to be. So which path are you on this morning? I'm going to ask you to close your your eyes, bow your heads. And just, I, I want you to think about these questions we've asked this morning. Are you a humble person? Are you a prideful person? You know, it's so easy for us to detach from the villain of the story. It's so easy for us to think, well, I'm the good guy in the story. I struggle a little with pride, but I'm not, I'm not that bad. I want to encourage you to just ask the Holy Spirit this week to just maybe show you areas, this path of pride that you might be on and allow God to do a work in your life this morning and this week. He wants to do it. He wants to put you on that right path of humility. Let's pray. As the ushers come forward for our offering, God, we just...